Welcome to the Light Plus podcast from Lighthouse. In this series, we'll be talking to the artists and curators behind Alternate Realities, an exhibition at Lighthouse for Brighton Digital Festival 2018, touring from Sheffield Dockfest. I'm Sian Haybell Ailey, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we're talking to Asad J. Malik about Terminal 3. It's an immersive and interactive work that we're presenting as part of Alternate Realities. Terminal 3 uses HoloLens augmented reality technology to explore contemporary Muslim identities in the US through the lens of an airport interrogation. The one-to-one installation asks the viewer to assume the identity of an immigration officer faced with one of a number of characters who are trying to enter the country. Welcome, Asad. And um, so you're an artist and designer working primarily with uh, augmented reality. Could you introduce yourself for us and tell us a little bit about your practice and your journey to this point? Sure. So um, I'm from Pakistan. There, That's where I was born and raised for most of my life. At around 16 year old, uh, years old, I got a scholarship to go study in the, uh, in the Netherlands. So I was there for a couple of years and now I'm going to an art school called Bennington College here in Vermont in the US. And over the last few years, I've been working with augmented reality and um, I've been, as you mentioned, very exclusive about it. Um, frequently augmented reality and virtual reality are thrown together in the same bucket and everyone talks about them as if they're mm-hmm. one thing. Um, but I think that conceptually, although they have similarities te- technologically, conceptually, they're very different entities. Um, while one works with the viewer's context, the other works with the lack of context. Um, so I'm diving deep into augmented reality and exploring what it means to be able to create presence of virtual objects in your space and also really diving deep into your space because I think in creating this work that the space itself becomes more important than the virtual objects that are augmenting it. So Mm. that's in terms of form and medium that's uh, a quick introduction. Thank you. I think that's some of those um, issues are things that I want to touch on a bit later, but I suppose just to introduce the audience to the work, I know it was born out of your own experience with with US Customs. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how that experience developed into Terminal 3? So Terminal 3 at this point is um, an installation-based augmented reality experience in which a viewer is invited to go in, put on a HoloLens and they're able to see a hologram of a person that sits in front of them. And they're put in this position of power where they're able to ask questions uh, to this hologram who appears to be a Muslim. Um, and the the viewer in this case is playing the role of an interrogator trying to figure out whether or not this person should be let into the country. Um, and the questioning, although it starts off being very realistic and, you know, questions like show me your passport and where are you coming from, it towards the end, it starts going into a more surreal space um, and questions like, what's your relationship to the moon or have you ever been in love become more common. Um, Questions that most people would not imagine being parts of interrogations. Um, My own personal experience, it definitely did inspire the project. Um, It's, I'm really used to traveling and being interrogated, taken into secondary screening questioned about one thing or the other and um, for a while I, I didn't enjoy this process as most people would not um, 
But soon after, I just started getting used to it and kind of started expecting it. And it became kind of a, you know, fun part of my trip that I usually look forward to. Um, I know I've not done anything wrong. So, um, you know, I landed in a new place and they take me in for some questioning. And you've been on the plane for a long time and you're nice and sleepy. And this is a good moment to wake up and you uh, get to talk a bit about yourself to someone who's professionally trained to listen to you. Um, and yeah, so I started having fun with it in a way. And every time I would go through security screening, I would kind of make it a point to make sure that the person who's interrogating me goes home and talks to his wife about <laughs> me rather than all the other hundreds of people he interrogated today. So that's kind of my playful approach to it. And mm. it's just the power dynamic I thought was really incredibly interesting. Um, one person who's, you know, institutionally required to figure you out. Um, I thought creating that into an AR experience in which the idea of this potential contemporary Muslim identity generally in the West is explored. Um, so that's kind of how Terminal 3 came together. And and so experiencing the work, um, it's, or I felt at least it was surprising and, and often uncomfortable how easily you fall into character as that immigration officer into a position of, of power over the narrative and over the the subject, I suppose, the other characters. Um, those characters that you interrogate, are they feel fully th- three-dimensional. Are they based on real people? Um, they're 100% real people. Yeah. They're, yeah, so basically... Um, the project is not really scripted. That That's not how we did it. Um, okay. Every hologram that you meet is actually not only a real person, not only are they telling a real story, but they're telling the real story to us for the first time in that moment. So it's not even as if they told the stories and we edit them uh, and made them repeat them or something. Um, these were just raw four-hour interviews that we did with them sitting down. And um, uh, all that material was then... Um, kind of structured in the form of these mind maps or these this branching narrative that the viewer would then get to explore. Um, the only parts that were play acted were when they're asked about where they're coming from and traveling and those kind of things. And the interview process for us was essentially, uh, we would bring in our subject, we would have them sit in a room with a green screen and a depth scanner and all that, which is surprisingly reminiscent of the coldness of an interrogation room. Um, and the we would start it off by bringing in uh, an interrogator who would who would essentially play the bad cop in this situation, ask them certain questions um, about where they're coming from or and if they could show their passport and whatnot. And uh, the subject would respond as if this is happening to them. And this would be a ten minute inter- uh, ten minute interrogation. Then we would repeat the same thing with someone who would play a good cop and ask the same questions with a more empathetic fashion. And after that, we would just sit down with these people for around three hours and just talk to them about their lives and interests and um, experiences. And all that material came together to form the narrative. So it was fully improvised in some ways. Yeah, it was 100% improvised. So how did you go about finding the these characters that are... Um, the the people that that kind of form the the narrative of the of the piece were they were they friends of yours were they um, people that came to you that you did you call out put out a call for for participants? 
So uh, we didn't work too hard to find them. And that was kind of part of um, why this experience was interesting for me as well, because um, it wasn't about finding extraordinary stories. It was more about finding people that have traveled in multiple countries and lived in other places and are living here now and are conceived. There's this preconception that they're Muslim because of how they might look or dress. And um, that's so uh, I just went on with the assumption that anyone with this profile will have interesting stories. Um, and so initially when we started, we filmed with some friends in our college and that material didn't end up being used because the project progressed and we got better at, you know, interviewing and our technology and whatnot. And by the time we were at, in that position, we were living in L.A., and we were able to get someone who was in our workplace where we were working out of who fit in this profile. We did an interview with her that turned out to be really good. And then through her, we met a couple more people. We made a couple of uh, cold phone calls to some Islamic centers and NGOs and organizations and try to get some people there. So we did multiple interviews before we selected the five that we have in there. Um, but they were all really like casual um, connections that were mm. obvious to us and were physically close to us. And can I ask, how's the, how was the project received in the US after it premiered at Tribeca? Um, positively, generally. Um, Tribeca was quite successful. At Tribeca, we also had this other element where in the first room you would be interrogating the hologram and by the time you were done with your interrogation, you would make a decision about their fate in the meantime, they would actually get up and go into the other room. And when you've made a decision, you would be invited to go and let them know. And when you wow. got up and walked into the second room, expecting to see the hologram again, the real person in the flesh was sitting there. Um, yeah, so you had this kind of moment of real confrontation, uh, this moment of juxtaposing your, this hologram's virtual presence to their real presence. And people found that part of the experience really powerful. And yeah. a lot of people would break down in that room or would, you know, be rather uncomfortable. Um, but generally, I had really positive reactions from people. And they said that it was a really powerful experience that they kept thinking about for days. And it affected how they thought about, you know, these processes of interrogation and figuring people out and how dehumanizing it can be as well definitely um, an experience that that stays with you and you've talked a lot about the importance of context for the work and and in particular its physical location so obviously hearing what you've just told me about the Tribeca um, version it has changed um, as a piece here in the UK um, has that as a result has have you felt that it's been received differently have there been different reactions or um, and how much of it did you change other than losing that that kind of live interaction at the end of it yeah, so the main thing that's lost really is that live interaction. Mm. And it is it is a solid part of the experience. You know, when it is happening, it is uh, one of the main things that you do remember. Um, but the reason I was comfortable enough to show it ever without that part was because I thought it was strong enough without that part as well. Mm. Um, and after Tribeca, I've never shown it with that element ever again, that element of almost immersive theater. Um but I, I, I do think that the piece without that does work as well. Uh, you like the AR 
aspect of it and the interrogation of the hologram is really the main body of the piece regardless mm. and i'd say that people have had similar experiences or from what i've been hearing uh, it's been generally uh, generally similar similar but in magnitude it has not been as you know extreme and shocking as tribeca was and people were just able to reflect on the experience with a stronger sense of a more visceral feeling about it. Yeah. Um and that's probably not the case anymore but regardless I think that people come out thinking the same things um and reflecting on the same points. And so you talked a little bit about this um when you introduced yourself but the particular technology that you use the hololens it's quite a unique and I suppose less widely accessible piece of kit. What made you choose AR over VR for this particular work? So this work started from not the not the content and then thinking where what's the best medium to show it but from the medium wow. thinking what is good content that can be made in it because um I my my work over the last few years has been about exploring AR and especially narratives and and you know considering all these new questions about space and context and where something is shown and uh, questions that are very unique to AR they've never been asked the same way before um so it kind of started with that and then i was thinking and reflecting on how the, these kind of stories are usually told in vr and there's this whole idea of the empathy machine that i'm sure you're familiar with and mm. it's frequently talked about in virtual reality and immersive uh, sectors about how a viewer can be transported or put into someone else's shoes in another part of the world by them putting on a headset and i've just come to a point where i think that that approach is um it's i find it slightly problematic at times i think that it really lends itself to the current like congratulatory like liberal mm. culture in the us at least but that's what i'm familiar with this thing where you can be in a refugee camp in a 360 video for a few minutes and come out with a delusional sense of moral superiority because you think now you know how it feels um while well, you don't know how that feels <laughs> that's yeah. it, it's a bit more complicated than that and so i i thought that there would be something really powerful about bringing someone else to your space instead mm. and uh, having to deal with this idea of you know uh, travel and uh, who who space belongs to who and who enters it and uh more reflective about those things so that that was partly the uh, intention and then there was a, a, this other aspect of it as well that i think that virtual reality is really dreamlike um it's like i think someone someone in my team i think recently said that virtual reality is like dreaming and ar is like daydreaming um which is more or less accurate so uh, virtual reality is you put on a headset you're taken off to another place which you cannot geographically locate because it's completely disconnected from your world and you don't have a transition to it that shows where this place is so because of that it's stored in your memory as a very like vague floating dreamlike experience mm. but but they are it's different they are it's in your space like it's especially in your memory it's even more real than you, how you perceive it in the moment um if you go back to that interrogation room in the barbican now without the headset or without the hologram there you will still feel that hologram's presence there because you had a strong experience with it um 
And since you can geographically place this space in which you had this experience and a person where you, that you met in the space, I think that it just becomes a more a strong visceral, a bit more real of an experience. Yeah, I think you're you're so right about about all of those things. And um, I know you've talked in the past about how VR and AR and artificial intelligence technologies can impact society in the near future. Do you? Do you feel that we can harness those technologies for positive political change beyond this idea that, you know, that that we can use them to feel empathy, you know, and 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 feel better about ourselves? Do you think are you an optimist about how how we these technologies can actually change the way that we um, we kind of view societal structures and and enact change? Yeah, so uh, the reason I'm working in this field and, you know, working with these subject matters is because, yeah, because I do think there is absolute potential for change through these technologies. Um, I think I look at it slightly differently. I think that these technologies are not think- are not separate entities that will change politics or change how things are done in the world. Uh, I think that it's the same. Like, I think these are now like virtual reality will soon, if it's not already, be a political space. Um, and so essentially by creating artificial intelligence, that's a, 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 by definition an, a new type of agent that society has to deal with, um, by creating augmented reality that changes how reality is perceived and worked with about, you know, people being holograms, holograms being able to cross borders um, and uh, virtual reality, that's whole new spaces that are not regulated, that are not controlled, that are not sitting in a physical space that no one can necessarily be born in or belong to directly like you can in the country. All these ideas are, I think, by definition, going to change how we perceive reality or what we think to be the real world and how politics and interact with that. So uh, I think that more than anything, this is a great opportunity where a new layer of politics and life and what it means to be alive is being added to our lives and the world. Um, And to be on it at the start and influence how uh, it will work and how what will how things will happen in it and make sure that these things are positive make sure that these things are not affected by the systematic problems that exist in our world that have just been that have existed for centuries at this point are not easy to fix because all kinds of institutions and systems are based on on top of that those inequalities um however when we're starting to create this new reality with all these new elements that are totally going to be a thing on their own I think it's a great opportunity to really start from scratch and think about taking and building the things that are best about our world into them and were there any limitations to the technology currently I suppose that frustrated frustrated you in the creation of the work or was that part of the challenge for you as an artist it's it's really frustrating. It's terribly frustrating. Um, <laughs> that's why no one works with them. Like they always break down. There's always something going wrong. I'm getting calls and emails all the time about how some installation somewhere in the world has stopped working and it's completely unknown reason. <laughs> and I have to diagnose it sitting here in Vermont. Um, and the process of building this stuff is also really hard. Like 
just the development flows. You code on your laptop and then you put it somewhere else and then you put it yourself. Uh, and then eventually you load it onto the HoloLens. And by the time it gets there, it's been half an hour since you made the change and it's a tiny change and something was wrong. Now you have to go back to the whole thing again. So uh, it's, it's not, it's definitely not a very comfortable medium to work with, but that, that I like that. I, I think it puts you in a position where you have to kind of be creative and find your own solutions. And at the end of the, the, the day, the reward of working with such a new medium that has such new rules and elements and tools and factors that you have to consider and work with that I, I find that whole, whole process really exciting. And the work that, that comes out of it at the end of the day is just really unique and uh, very different from anything else that we've experienced before. So that that's definitely very fulfilling. What are your plans for the project for the project next? Do you have plans to distribute it more widely online, for example, or will it always be a, a purely live experience? So my project over the last few months uh, has shifted to um, I have started working on a new project essentially, so that's taking up a lot more of my attention. Um, but with Terminal Three, definitely, I think there's more life to it um, than what we've than you know the places we've taken it to so far but it's not like films it's not going to be old in a year necessarily so i would give it another year or two of continuous distribution and uh, for this kind of distribution my intentions are to i'm slowing down on festivals now and focusing more on museums and exhibition spaces so after having a successful run at the barbican where people constantly wanting to get in and was booked out for most of the, um, you know, install. I think that we have a compelling case study to take it to other institutes like MoMA and LACMA and US-based cultural institutes as well and try to see if we can get it there. So that's one of my main uh, goals as well going forward with Terminal 3. And the other thing that we want to be exploring is mobile, mobile AR. So being able to interrogate these people and these stories in your own space. Um, uh, people being able to download a simple app on their phone that allows them to see this content. That's definitely also in the pipelines, not something that we're focusing on directly yet, but definitely something we want to do soon. And so I guess my last question is really about um, the exhibition as a whole, alternate realities at Lighthouse, the focus is on borders and identity and loss. And how do you feel that your work interacts with those themes? You've touched on this a bit, but maybe if you could just just kind of close on that thought. Yeah, so I think that uh, Sheffield and uh, Dan and Joe and everyone in the team, they they were able to pull, pull on a really, really compelling, interesting, diverse show um, under these themes. Um, Terminal 3, I think, for obvious reasons, is very relevant. It's all about border, border crossings and considering what borders even are to begin with if we start going into a realm of mm. virtual presence and holograms and whatnot. Um, so in that sense, like I, I thought that it fit in really well with the, the theme and the structures that were put in place by Sheffield. And with the Barbican as well, I thought it was a really really interesting moment because well first of all the barbican kind of looks like an uh, airport in a way at times so it just felt very natural for the installation mm. to just fit in there um and then the other thing was that this was the first time we were showing it a predominantly art space rather than a, a film space um 
that was really interesting as well. So for example, Terminal 3, the installation had this huge one-way mirror on one side of the room where people outside could look in, but once you were inside, you would only see your reflection. And the mirror really, when I first saw it, um, I had designed it, but I wasn't there for the build. When I first saw it, it really struck me for the first time that it was really reminiscent of a painting. And since it was in an art center, since it was a white wall, since it was a rectangle, those are really the traditional elements that comp like uh, comprise a painting. So um, being reminded of that tradition and realizing this was totally not intentional, but it's totally working in some regard, like a painting that's reflective, that people walk towards and realize that they can look through and inside is another room. Um, I thought was it really like, interesting piece and dimension to the overall piece that came out of showing it at the Barbican that I had not imagined before. Thank you. Thanks so much, Asad. That was all my questions. Lovely. Yeah, that, that was totally great. I'm... Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about alternate realities, visit lighthouse.org.uk or chefdocfest.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It helps other people to find us. Thanks to our supporters. This series of Light Plus is supported by Brilliant Noise. Visit brilliantnoise.com for more information. Lighthouse is funded by Arts Council England. <laughs>